Are y'all ready to go? Let's go. Have y'all ever been asked to give vegetables to a can drive? And you go to the, your shelf and you look for what you can give. And what comes to your mind is, you know, I don't like lima beans. I'll give that. <laughs> or I don't like spinach and Brussels sprouts. I'll put that in. And so isn't it funny that you hate the lima beans, you hate the spinach, and you think, that's what I'll give to the poor. <laughs> Have you ever looked at what the poor give? And it's all vegetables. It's all the hominy. It's all the stuff <laughs> nobody likes. You know the worst garage sales that you can go to? I mean, they're church garage sales. Because if it's something good, you're going to put it in your own garage sale and make the money. But if it's a church garage sale, man, you put your broken furniture in there. You put things you don't like. I mean, it's the leftovers of the leftovers what didn't sell. I want you to think about in Romans 12, verse 2, when it says, Give God a living, holy sacrifice. If you think about it, sometimes we do the same thing to God. We give God what we really don't like. We give him our lima beans. We give him our spinach. We give him our broken furniture. We give him our three-legged sheep. We give him ourselves. You know, and when you think about it, that's the very same thing. Now, I want you to think about something. You know what? It's no sacrifice to give God yourself if you really don't like yourself. There's no sacrifice involved to that. So tonight, we're going to do it on learning to like yourself. You won't even move into the point that your life's a sacrifice to God, let alone holy and living, if you don't like yourself. you got to like yourself for it to be something worth giving. Okay, now, so we're going to talk about what makes people lovable. What makes people likable? I've tried studying this. You know, sometimes it's their joy. They just have a lot of joy on them. Oh, they're so happy. And you just think, I want a little dose of their happiness. And I'd look at different things that it could be. It's not necessarily that they're the most unselfish person alive, but you see something about them, and you know what I've come to the conclusion? It's people that like themselves. That's who we find is lovable. If you think about it, do you know someone who likes themselves? Usually everyone likes them. <laughs> Quit pointing. Do you know someone who doesn't like themselves? They struggle harder in relationships. You think about our little dog, Abby. When we're disciplining her, but she likes herself so much, she doesn't even feel that discipline. She's just like, hurry and get out of your bad mood so we can get back to fun again. <laughs> and she just, that's an unlikable quality on her. That's why we find ourselves squirting her now, because she just doesn't respond to anything. <laughs> Think of people that they just like themselves. They're like little Abby. I want you to look up Matthew 22, 37 through 39. This is our foundational verse. And it summarizes your whole Old Testament for you in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. And it basically talks about three entities to love. And it tells you that you've got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The Mark version. And then it says the second commandment underneath it is that you've got to love other people the same as you love yourself. The same as you love yourself, you've got to love other people. You know what it's talking about there is three types of love. Love for self which I would say is the foundational love, not in the sense that it's what gives you the love for all the others, but it's the most basic form of love for humans. You start out usually loving self first. You're a little baby, watch what happens. 
I mean, everything you do is cute. They feed you. You make messes in your diaper. They feed you. Everything's love of self. And then you go, oh, I have a mama. And you smile. And it's really just gas. And you, she says, oh. And so then they start talking. And then it moves into, finally you go, oh, there's a love for God. And you see them move out. Three types of entities here. Love of self is a foundational love. So we're going to talk about tonight having a good nature like for yourself. Can you imagine just having just kind of a good natured wholesome ability to like yourself because you know what i don't think you can move any further if we don't have this you know we can go into all kinds of realms of what god can do with your life but deep down if you have a war with yourself well you basically dislike yourself disrespect yourself you're not going to be able to do the other stuff you're going to keep thinking something's broken inside of me because you can't give what you don't have so we're going to talk on this aspect tonight you know what really tests this out are alone times can you handle being alone? I've laughed at some of you. You've never been alone for a week. And we talk about the alone times. You know what? Basically, sometimes it's just hard to sit in a room by yourself because it scares you. You can't handle it because it's a lot of self. And you feel like those walls are closing in on you. We've talked about your relationships in your life. It's not that they're next to each other. It's not that you break your heart that one day you break up and the next day you're with somebody else. It's they overlap. <laughs> that feeling of being with God where you're peaceful, where you can be alone, and you can know, man, God's with me, and you feel that inner peace inside. Aloneness, those are the really the ones that I think test out your love for, for God. Now think about this. What makes people lovable? Oh, I think it's joy, and I think it's liking themselves. But let's go a third place with that. This makes it irresistible. I mean, you talk about the other two being a good combination. You add this third ingredient to it, and I think nobody will disagree with me. The most irresistible combination is joy. It's liking yourself, and then it's liking me. <laughs> if you like yourself, and you're smart enough to like me, you add those two together, and you are the wisest, smartest, most lovable, discerning person in the world. Isn't that funny? That If you stop liking me, I start doubting you a little bit. You're a little bit suspect to me. You know, I kind of admire you because you like yourself and you're over here and you're a Greek god unto yourself. But honestly, if you have the sensibility to like me, oh my, I just, I, I'm amazed at your understanding of human life. Isn't that interesting that the combination that we really like in people is both the ability that they thoroughly like themselves and they like you too. Have you ever seen a family like this where basically every member likes himself? You know, we have that on one side of my family. Just every member, they just like themselves. And it's, it's attractive in the family. Everybody wants in the family. They wait for something to happen to one of us so they can marry in. And so anyway, it's a likable side. You know, my dad, he came from a family that didn't have a lot of love in it. And he just said, I married your mom because she was happy. Boy, did he get a surprise when that tormented came along, didn't he? Okay. <laughs> Think about that irresistible combination. Y'all, this is terrible to say this, but think about it. We deep down have something in us that there's a little bit of that Abby in us. It's kind of cute. Nathan wasn't thinking about you and how hard that is. He wasn't thinking about you. He was thinking about himself. My gosh, I need you back. You was, used to pray well, but you're in a terribly foul mood and messing up everybody now. Isn't that funny how life is? But we find that attractive in each other that we actually have something that we need. That it's, it's loving self, it's, a, it's appealing. He needed a prayer life. Two things that mess up our love for self. Number one, you can't go any further if you haven't fixed this one. 
is if you're ungrateful. I want you to think about 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. Have you ever thanked God for everything about yourself? Good and bad, warts and all. Have you ever thanked God? Think about it. Have you ever had a grateful moment in your life where you just told God, man, I thank you for making me. Lord, thank you for letting me be born a Texan. Lord, just thank you for the kind, I'm sorry. Thank you for the kind things that you've done for me. We've heard this joke that if you weren't born a Texan, you're trying to get here as fast as you can. So anyway, you think about the gift of life that God has just given you where you are extremely grateful to God. I think that is the bottom, most key issue of loving self. It's the gratefulness, being thankful for the gift that he gave you. You know, when you're not thankful, you're kind of acting like you deserve it. Did you know that that person that has flawless looks, have you ever seen that cheerleader? Somehow they think they gave it to themselves. And never one time did they say thank you. That person that has incredible brains, and they do so well in the SAT, they think they gave that to themselves. You look at the different things in your life, you go, this great hairline that goes in the middle of my forehead when the rest of my family is clear halfway in the back. You think somehow you gave that to yourself. Think about the things that God has blessed you with and just say, man, God, thank you. It's the first step to loving self. Secondly is getting unbalanced. I think the worst thing that can happen is when you don't love other people the same as you love yourself. It's like a seesaw. You know, if it looked like this in your life or like this, it gets really off balance, those extremes. Think about it. Inferiority or pride. Or if you think about unworthy or self-consumed. See, that messes up that same as. You know, both extremes are counterfeits. Think what it sounds like when I say these words. Just kind of feel the emotion behind them. Cold conceit. Does that make you want to be close to that person? Hard to approach. Extremely self-focused. Look at these. A warm person. Pleasant. Approachable. Lovable. That combination of joy and love for self. You know, we know it is unhealthy to be self-focused. But at the same time, it's also unhealthy and not spiritual to dislike yourself. Do you agree? We're going to keep going on that. People like people who like themselves. So the first challenge I'm going to give you is call off the war against yourself. I do not want you to spend your whole life being against yourself where you are just everything about yourself. You're against you. Yes, you have some problems. You have some things God needs to straighten out. You're not where you should be. You've come a long ways, but you've got to stop that war and stop saying, I am against myself. I do not like myself. You're not giving God any sacrifice with that. Number two, the good and the bad. Attractive areas. What do you really like about yourself? I mean really, really, really like. You know, one of my favorite things about my mom is she really likes herself. I think it's real attractive in my mom. She reminds me of Abby, no matter how much I've tried to discipline my mom. You know, having her own mission trip, trying to explain her faults. Oh, no, she's real happy with herself. Everybody else in the world likes me. I'm popular. I've always been popular. She just has that about herself, and it's real attractive. Well, it goes back a long ways. In high school, she was voted class favorite. She was voted most popular. My mother was liked by everyone. This couldn't be happening to me. Y'all, I've got to tell a story on my mother. My dad said, don't forget this story. 
Mother was in a classroom. She was running for most popular. So the vote came up and, and uh, the teacher stands up and she says, class, I just want to tell you something. She said, two of the girls were in one classroom, mother and the other girl that was running. She said, I just want to tell you something. She said, we have had one of the most unusual votes ever known. She said, there's 28 in the class and all 28 of you voted for Peggy Joyce Ruth. <laughs> mother was horrified. You understand that? The girl was in the class. That means the girl voted for mother and mother voted for mother. <laughs> oh, my mother was so embarrassed she got caught. I go, mother, why'd you do this? She goes, I really thought I was the better one. I, I, it's the only time I've ever done it. Those secret ballots will get you when the teacher stands up. 28 votes for Peggy Joyce Ruth. Y'all, those favorite things. I would, I would encourage you to make a list about what you like about yourself. List it out. Some of you need to sit down tonight and make a list and say, you know, these are God-given qualities he's given to me. God-given gifts. What are you doing with what God's given you? Man, that's such a bl- The first thing is just say a big thank you. Man, John, I'm just, you know, you look at John. People admire me. You know, you just, you've got to put these things down on a list. Okay, vote for yourself. Okay, unattractive areas. Abuse. This is my theory. If you came from an abusive background, we're not going to go into the negative side. I just want to say that when you're told constantly, over and over and over, you're no good, sometimes it gets inside of you. And I have a theory on, you know, when somebody abuses someone else, they beat them down and they tell them, you're no good, and they give you ten reasons why so they can take advantage of you. If you ever study that up, anybody ever does that to you, it's crazy. Get out of it. If you've got this work out, you will never let yourself succumb to abuse. But abuse happens in homes, and I have a theory. I think it's swallowed. I think people say things, and you swallow it. I base that on 1 Samuel 21, verse 12. And it's an interesting verse. I'm reading it in the NAS. But it says, David was walking along, King David, and he heard some words, and it said he received what they said. And that's what made him start acting crazy because he got scared they were going to kill him. Have you ever received what somebody said about you? When it's negative, you just bought it. You swallowed it. You owned it. It became yours. You grew up thinking, nobody really likes me. How come? Because one person voted against you growing up? Two people? That doesn't make a majority, especially with God voting. Abuse, man, it's something that can be swallowed. It's something that if you receive it, it will color the rest of your life, and it'll make you get into that, those swings of inferiority, pride, backwards and forth, always trying to prove something. You're always thinking about yourself with people because you're always trying to prove something to yourself, one way or the other. Sometimes you prove yourself bad, sometimes you prove yourself good. Self-hate, rejection of, of self. You know, very few people are going to like something about you that you don't like about yourself. I'll pick on Josh tonight. How about if he goes home and he says, you know what, there's one thing I don't like about myself. Only one, that's good. Just one thing. And it's an unchangeable area. I would say, won't you let God attack that one area in your life? Won't you let God have that one area that you've never let out of the closet and say, God, you attack that. Target that area. That thing I dislike about myself the most. Have you ever noticed speakers capitalize on this? The best speakers have the biggest quirks. We had one guy, and he always faced the back when he spoke. <laughs> he was so funny. Or, or men, they, they, they chew their words. You know, and everybody enjoys mimicking him. 
<laughs> you know what? You've got to have an area where you target it, but it can become your most lovable spot if you let the love of God attack it. If you let the love of God eat it up and absorb it. That's what God does. Well, I'll tell you my area. Playing flag football. We were out with our Israel team right here. And so to promote team unity of going to Israel together, we decided we would play the roughest, most whatever games of flag football every week to prepare for Israel. Well, we got out there, and man, something came over me. Competition. I mean, we were playing, and I mean, getting that flag became, it was, this, I mean, it was like a spiritual goal to me. Well, anyway, as I was playing that after the game, you know, I felt really bad about the game. You know, I was thinking if I lived in my brother's skin, you know, growing up, I'd probably be a boxer. You know, I liked that feeling of adrenaline trying to take them out. And I thought, that's really bad. It didn't feel very Christian about me. I looked at Christian and Kathy, and I wanted to beat them in flag football. I didn't think about them being a part of the body of Christ. I wanted to beat them. I thought about it. I thought of ways. I thought of cheap shots. Oh, my gosh. You know what, Haley? She came up to me, and I was rejecting myself in that area, and I'll never forget. I mean, I walked off that field, and I felt so discouraged that I'd won so much, so well. And Haley said to me, she said, Angie, the only problem you have with this is that you just got to love this about yourself. And she said, put your love. If you like playing flag football, tell yourself, I like playing flag football. And it's over with. And you know what? It had never occurred to me. Sometimes you just need permission to love something about yourself. Permission to say, well, maybe God wired me this way. Because if I was sitting here telling you frilly little girly stories, you guys wouldn't be coming to Bible study. I mean, you want something raw, rough. I mean, you want something that touches your soul. And I thought, you know, maybe God wired us the way we are, that we play pranks at night. We do the crazy stuff we do because God made us the likable way we are for what we're called to do with our life. you got to say yes to it. And you got to quit fighting it. And you got to surrender it to God because until a seed goes into the ground and dies, it can never be resurrected and God can never use it in your life. As long as you're trying to dress it Christian and hand it to God, it's fig leaves. But sometimes you just got to flat hand it to God and say, it's raw, this is the way it looks. Think about it. There's such a thing as when you start liking it about yourself, people start liking it. It's a law of attraction. I want you to think about this for a minute in another way. There's been a rumor going on around campus. And on campus, they say that we have the best pool table on campus. Now look at it over there after crowned it in gold today. And they say the pool table at Crosslines is better than any other place on campus. I mean, I guess they just think they win when they play pool on our table. Now, what does that make happen? Everyone wants to play pool on our table, right? When there's a pool game, they're like, let's go see if that table's free. I had this same thing happen with college kids. We'll catch a kid and we'll just, oh, we'll fall in love with that kid. We'll throw our love. I'm just shocked that when we throw our love at a kid, and when we throw our, our love on that kid, then everybody else starts loving that kid and takes him away from us. <laughs> I'm just, have you ever seen that if you start loving something, it's like a magnet and it attracts love to that person? Because when somebody sees value, then they want that value. It's amazing when you throw your, your love on somebody. Putting your love on those unattractive areas in you. Love covers a multitude of sins. 
Man, the love of God will cover a multitude. Look up Ephesians 5, 28 through 29. This is a great verse. Ephesians 5, 28, 29. It says, a husband loves his wife as much as he loves himself. Guys, don't marry a woman unless that's true, that you love that as you love yourself. I'm glad the Bible didn't say more than, less than, that there is something to the same as. Paul's just saying if you'll do it as the same amount that you love yourself, she'll be in good shape. You'll take good care of her. And then he goes on to say something very interesting. It says, for no man hates himself. No man hates his own flesh. No man hates his own flesh, but he takes care of it. That man babies himself. He takes care of his flesh. Sorry. <laughs> you think about animals. I was reading this thing about animals the other day, and they said, what about an animal? Well, I look over. Animal behaviors say this. What about an animal makes me look over and say, that animal's smart? It's when that animal does something for his own self-interest. Isn't that funny? You think, oh, that animal's smart. Look what a clever little... Or you see it in children. You're like... Wow, they just outcheated their sister. Look how many layers it took, you know, one for them, two for themselves. I mean, you're like, you're impressed with that. Well, this sounds pretty unscriptural, but it's a principle. I'm going to show you deeper where Jesus used this principle on you. It says it better be intact with you on Judgment Day. Think about for yourself. I was watching this advertisement, and it says, You can really know when a woman loves her own body. It was an advertisement for lotion and shampoo. And it had this old, old movie star lady that, you know, all the people in the 50s go, oh, we know who she is. But she had great hair for as old as she was. And it just showed her taking care of her hair. And it says, I thought, what an interesting line. Everybody knows when a woman loves her body. Is that what Paul's referring to here? It's a fundamental love. You use all the lotions, and you use all the shampoos. Because people really, you know, I've noticed that uh, if I just let myself go ugly, it doesn't make me more spiritual. <laughs> Some people think that's sainthood, you know. If I just don't take care of myself, it doesn't bring out any of my better qualities. AC, I remember the night he goes, Angie, you have on makeup tonight. I'll never forget that. Put on double the amount the next week. <laughs> You know, I was thinking about marriage, and out of all the years of doing marriage counseling, I've come to one sentence now that I think marriage is about. And it's loving the essence of that other person. And you think that's easy, but it's really a shock when your essence contradicts with their essence. <laughs> or they war, or they fight. But it's really loving the essence. I think that's friendship, too, of loving the essence of the other person. Yeah, I think of this area, and, I, you know, there's cameos that I would have liked to have seen in the Bible. But my favorite scene would have been to see one of those lepers, especially now that I've seen leprosy where it's not cured, where they came up to Jesus, and they had to lift their robes back then, and they would show him their leprosy, where it's like something that's oozing, where skin's falling off, where it's just like puffy. I mean, the skin just falls off in, in sheets. And can you imagine the humility of pulling it back and saying, Jesus, look at this. This is what I want you to look at. You know, the first step to getting healed is pulling back your robe and saying, I've been hiding this from all of society. This is my untouchable part of my life. 
Jesus, look at it. That area that you do not like about yourself. You know, we had a lady that I knew, and uh, she was unattractive. And it was one of those type of unattractive things that people make a lot of fun of. But the funny thing about this lady is she had such a healthy, healthy like about herself. She never one time, no one ever teased her about it. No one ever said, how'd you get that husband? No one ever said, that's amazing. I could not, but people talk about this woman and they go, we love this woman. Why? Because she likes herself. And I guarantee you, if she projected self-hate or not liking herself or not, people would be going, oh, I don't want to be around there. They're all depressed. We think beauty skin deep. It's not. It's the essence of who you are. It's where that a law of attraction, and I'm not talking about where the world talks about it. I'm talking about where the love of God is on an area, and people sense that love. You know, I think it's, you know, when I realize how much God loves me and my value to him, you know, that love of God makes me start loving myself. It stirs up a normal amount of it. I'm worth something. It's a dangerous thing when a person sees himself as no valuable. Now that you're likable, what do you do with your likable self? I would say you love others the same as, and you love God more than yourself. Good. All right. That's our intro. Now we're going in. <laughs> okay. I'm going to prove a point to you next. Gosh, we're getting the good stuff. I want to prove to you that if you don't care about yourself, you cannot serve God. I want to prove to you, and I want you to see that if you don't like yourself, you're not going to have the right reactions to judgment. You're not going to have the right reactions to God. You're not going to have the right reactions to obedience. And that's what I want to prove to you. Now I'm going to use Luke 16.1 and see if you agree with me on this. Everybody hates this prayer it's because they're not preaching it right. Y'all, if, if I could tell you anything about writing a commentary on the Bible, go to the most difficult passages first. Those are the most fun, and that's where the most truth is. God hides it deeper in those. Luke 16, 1 is, Why on earth would God praise the unrighteous steward? It's that unscrupulous little man that was so, it reminds you of your brother, <laughs> that there is such a flagrant amount of self-interest in this guy. I look at my brother, and I swear I wasn't going to tell you all this story tonight, but I think I'm going to have to. My brother likes himself. When he tells a joke, he laughs so hard he shakes. If you've ever seen Bill, he doesn't care if no one else thinks his joke is funny. His chest is, is bouncing up and down because he thinks he's so funny. Yeah, he was popular in school because he was just likable. You know that likable, flagrant... <laughs> <laughs> my brother's demented. He would open my mail from Howard Payne the first year I'd get out. And he would write, what are you doing now, Angie? That's what, you know, they ask you so they can put it in their alumni. And he goes, I'm a professional model, and I've got my master's. And he'd write all this stuff and mail it back to Howard Payne, sign my name like I wrote it. No wonder they think the rumors are true. <laughs> this stuff went on. It's just somebody that likes themselves almost to a fault. That's this guy right here. Now, I want you to watch this of how all three loves and how they play out. Okay, I want you to look in Luke 16.1. We're going to read that together. Now, he'd been saying to the disciples. Of course, they weren't listening, so he had to tell them a story. There was a certain man 
a rich man, and he had a steward. And this steward reported to him as squandering his possessions. Now, he wasn't stealing them per se, but he was just living high on them and not doing what he should with them. It's a form of stealing, but a little bit different. And he called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? And he said, give me an account of your stewardship, for you no longer can be stirred. And the steward said to him, self. Now this is when you talk to yourself. What am I going to do? I'm in trouble. I've got to do something. I've got to think of something. Well, it, I love these lines. Think of Jesus making, thinking these things up. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I'm going to rule those two out, so I can't go out and earn the money real quick. I know what I shall do, so that when I'm removed from the stewardship, they'll receive me into their homes. Now look at it. He thinks he's going to get fired, so he's just made up a plan that when he does get fired, he'll at least have some friends. I mean, he's not really thinking he's going to retain his job. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first one, how much do you owe my master? And the guy said, a hundred measures of oil, and he thinks, I wonder how much I could get off this one. He makes up a price. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down, and write out 50. Do half. Then he said to the other, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take out your bill and write 80. You see that there's no rhyme or reason. He does them different. This guy's a master at figuring out how much you'll give. I mean, he's one of those wheeler dealers. How much is that car worth? And Well, he names his price. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he says, I owe 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. And then his master praised the unrighteous steward because he had acted shrewdly. And then he says this horrible statement. See, it says, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, oh, this gets worse. Make friends quickly with your money. By means of unrighteous mammon, for when it fills, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Oh, you're saying you can use your money to get to heaven. Oh, these are great theology. What are we saying here? And then he says, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. For he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. And he says, if therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will trust true riches to you? Now, let's talk about this for a minute. The first thing that I want to say about this guy is when he knew he was in trouble, he did something about it. And Jesus is saying that's more than most Christians do. Let's play this out for a minute. I want you to think about it for a minute. Most Christians get into this idea of, they get into a big load of self-pity. Or they get into a big thing of, I don't care. And those two ideas will never work for the kingdom. You remember when I told you David, King David, heard the words that they were saying about him and that he swallowed them, he received them? I'm going to tell you, if you have ever done this in your life, you've got to make war with it and get it outside of you. I'm going to tell you a story. There was a girl in our high school youth group, and I swear she was bent on self-destruction. Have you ever seen someone like that? They're going to, they're going to make themselves fail somehow. If anything went good, she would do something to wreck it. She didn't trust anything that worked out right. If something happened bad, she thought, I deserve it. And you think about it, we don't really deserve the good or the bad. But you start getting to that deserve thing back and forth, it's all grace of God. Someone tried to help her, and she would think, why would they want to help me? I'm not worth anything. I can't tell you what lengths I went to trying to help this girl. 
And no matter what I do, a two-year relationship of constantly pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, there was something in her called self-defeat. And it was determined to wreck her life. Did you know, as far as I can find out, I've kept traces on her, she is still operating underneath this. Because she received this thing in on top of her. Someone would try to help her. She would say, I wonder what they want from me. She was too lazy to start helping herself. She wallowed in the misery. When things gradually got worse and worse, and things went more and more wrong, she loved to talk about it. Even more, she loved to think about it. I mean, it was like it felt comfortable to her. Have you ever gotten to a place that defeat feels comfortable? You're in danger. If you have an area in your life where defeat feels natural to you. You always lose a victory. In your spiritual life, you always come to this point and you lose. You're in extreme danger. And think about it. It proved to her more and more to herself what she really believed. It confirmed to her that life just wasn't worth it. It's not worth fighting for. And the theme of her life and her internal motto was, I don't care. I don't care. It's all I could get over. I don't care. Somewhere she received that I don't care and she swallowed it. I want you to think about that. A guy who feels sorry for himself and feels like something always goes wrong for him, this guy is suddenly told he's going to have to give an account. And so he walks in and he gives a lousy report on himself. Now watch how different this goes than with the parable. He doesn't care whether you like it or not. And he tells himself, oh, this is just a sign that I don't care what people think. But in this case, it's a fault, and it's not a virtue. He has swallowed a big spirit of failure, and it's keeping him trapped. Y'all, I'm telling you, anytime you get up to a crisis situation and you've swallowed failure, it will repeatedly give you the same results over and over in your life. Now, I want you to say to yourself, I'm going to have no more cop-out. I want you to think of going into a house and it having a double screen door to it. Have you ever seen a house with two doors? The first door, the screen door, is what you do to get yourself out of the jam. The main door is what you do to help somebody else. Now, I want you to play this out with me. If this guy in this parable had been told by his boss, I don't care. I don't care if you do think I'm smarter. I'll give you a worse report on me than what you know. This story would have ended in a totally different way. Do you think this could be the reason Jesus said to us, the sons of darkness are smarter than Christians? Because we know judgment day is coming, and we're not doing a darn thing about it. I want you to think about this for a minute. These are not normal, and these are unhealthy. I have nothing in me that wants to help other people. Yeah, I want you to think for a minute. The guy was threatened with getting fired. Could we say on Judgment Day we're getting the same threat of getting fired? <laughs> the parable represents the Christian side of liking self. Y'all, like no other parable in your Bible, this, this parable had the very foundational truth of you better like yourself enough to do something about it. I think this is why some people find this parable so confusing because they don't know it's saying okay to, to love of self. Watch this. It shows you why at a low level, that a, even a fundamentally selfish guy, what happens to him spurs him to action and causes him to make a change. What's this. Number one, he took the threat of losing his job seriously and he did something about it. Verse two, that's better than most Christians. Man, 
People are living out here like there is no account going to be given ever in our life. Squandering is just a way of life. What God's given us, our talents. Number two, he realized judgment day was coming and he started something in his life that counted. Verse four. I think that's cute how he says it in verse four. He says, I know what I shall do. I'm going to be removed from the stewardship. I'm going to go make me some friends with my master's money. It's hysterical, his logic. Okay, three, he didn't want to dig and he was too ashamed to beg. Do you know that that means you can kind of choose your job in the kingdom? I mean, can you kind of apply this out and say, if one thing doesn't fit me, I don't ever want to go on a cross-lines mission trip. I don't ever want to eat dog. I don't want to ever get up at three in the morning. I don't ever want to get dirt under my fingernails. You know what I say to you? Okay. That's not what gets you into judgment day with a good account. I think it'll work some of the selfishness off of you, but I don't think it's what gets you. You can never go on a mission trip in your whole life, but you know what I'd challenge you? Do something about it. I remember Kayla and Adrian, they went down to the Walmart pharmacy line and prayed over everybody that came to the Walmart pharmacy line. Number four, he ended up helping them. Notice what he did. He helped everyone else get out of debt. What's that guy on the radio? Yeah, Dave Ramsey. I mean, he had his program down right here. He could have gotten all that money that guy's getting for teaching us to get out of debt. Verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. He took everybody that was in debt, got them all out of debt. One day. Then he gets rid of his boss's accounts receivables. Did you know that most doctor's offices, private, one doctor, have seventy dollars to $100,000 in accounts receivable in a year, unpaid, never be paid. They're what you call sorry accounts. And these are the ones where the boss knows nothing's ever going to happen from these sorry guys. They're never going to pay. And he takes care of the problem. Six, verse nine, he makes relationships that are going to go into eternity. You know what that verse means of use your money to buy? Have you ever noticed that no one ever pays for their first beer? Do they? They go, here, have a beer. Have their first marijuana. Why? Because it's like getting you in. Oh, not Christians. You want to know the most expensive garage sale in town? Christians. We're not going to give you anything free. We're like, we're high. Y'all, what would happen if we started using our money to get people into the kingdom? Crazy stuff. Like buying everybody a book in the whole high school and handing it to them. I mean, th- just laying in bed and thinking, how can I use my money for kingdom reasons? That's what he's talking about. He was smart. You have to admire how creative this guy was. Jesus applauded him because he did quick action. He ends up giving his boss, which represents God, what he wants. Now, let me tell you something. This is the most fundamental level of love. The lowest level. Would you agree with me that there's more noble types of love out there like turning the other cheek, sacrifice, greater love has no man than lay down his life for someone else? Think about it. If it works at this level, can you imagine someone that is filled with the agape love of God? So full of God. Can you imagine what God could do with their life? But all Jesus wanted was for you to be as smart as a man who had enough love for himself that he was smart enough to avoid punishment. People make fun of that and say, well, I shouldn't serve God just to avoid punishment, just to avoid hell. I think this parable tells you to. (laughs) This guy was like, I'm fixing to get it. Do something. And Jesus goes, that's smarter than what you're doing because you're going to go to hell and tell yourself, I don't care. I, I deserve hell. I had hell on earth. What does it matter to have hell through eternity? 
My worm will never die. Burn and burn. I mean, that's really. You look at people and think, are you not taking this seriously? Maybe Jesus is just joking in these passages. Anybody that really reads Jesus for what he's saying, they need to at least say, hey, he's encouraging us. Avoid punishment. Be that smart. Jesus takes the very bottom rung of natural love. And he says, at least avoid punishment. You know, and the unrighteous guy thought of a win-win situation. You know, it reminds me of a guy who was on my state school team one semester. And he couldn't go with me to state school for that semester because he had a class on Monday nights. And he was really scared to come tell me. You know how that is? He's like, I can't tell this to Angie. And so he didn't just call me one day and say, hey, I'm not coming to state school anymore this semester. I have a class. See, that stands up with God. Well, I'm fine. He did the most unusual, unscrupulous thing I've ever heard of. He had a roommate, and he told his roommate, you'll go in my place. He didn't matter the roommate wasn't saved, walking with <laughs> He goes, every, and he'd check on that roommate. He'd give that roommate a Bible study. He'd go, you're going to teach. And, everything. and you know what? I was so happy with that guy. I was like, wow. And sure enough, he kept that roommate going all semester long. At the end, you know what? I had two volunteers from then on. Now think about this. Are we that smart? It's a threefold win here. A, he made his class, got his grade, got his diploma, which I, didn't, I always sad when y'all graduate. Two, he had his dorm covered. And three, God had people who were reached that semester. Smart guy. Do you see the difference? When something goes wrong, it does a call to action on your life. And you don't give less to God, you give more. I think that's what we sometimes don't realize is Jesus is just complimenting a call to action. You can take a really spiritual impact of this parable and you can say there will come a judgment day and we don't want God to say all you did was squander your life. Squander everything on yourself. You need to make sure that he is pleased with what you do in your life. The moral of this story is that this honoring but likable guy had a likable plan of action and God liked him for it. Do you agree? Being smart enough to do something about Judgment Day. I'm going to end with these stories. There was a lady, she was named Catherine Monroe. Her birthday was May the 3rd. We never forgot her birthday. Because in the mail would come a letter. And inside that letter was a credit card receipt filled out to her saying, Don't forget me on my birthday. Buy something good and generous for me. Love, Catherine. And she did a huge mail out every time before her birthday. We thought that's kind of likable. You know, you couldn't imagine a full-grown woman having nothing better to do than just mail out something and think, think generous. You know how you are on your birthday. You don't want to tell anybody because you want your roommate to feel obligated. Not Catherine. She handed you the credit card receipt. (laughs) And she said, there's something that happens in this school. She said, it's 95% rule. She said, if you come into this school uh, single, you'll end up married. And if you come into this school married, you'll end up divorced. And she says, 95% accurate. And you know what? At the end of the thing, we started counting up all the affairs and all the divorces, and we were part of the 5%. It was amazing how many of those study groups turned into something else in graduate school. I'm showing them that with God, you can have more fun than the world could ever offer. Kingdom motives. What do you do with your life? Do you know if you're likable, people like you and they want what you got? You know what they say? The best testimony to Jesus Christ 
is a satisfied customer. You give God the very best. You give God the very best of you. You know, liking yourself can be healthy. And it can cause you to love other people. And it can cause you to take your whole heart and throw it to God. But you know what? You can't do it if you don't like yourself. Amen?